Almost three decades later, questions remain about the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, and the car crash that claimed her life. Was it really an accident? The official conclusion is that the paparazzi chased down Diana's car, causing it to crash, but others believe there is more to the story. In the investigation following the deadly crash, a few questionable facts came to light. Why was there no CCTV footage of the last moments in the life of the most photographed woman in the world? Why were they being driven by a man who was supposedly drunk and was not a professional chauffeur? And strangest of all, why had Diana told two people that if she were to die in a car wreck, it wouldn't be an accident? In fact, she was convinced someone was actively plotting her death. Maybe someone in the royal family. But is any of it true? Today, let's take a look at some of the conspiracy theories surrounding Princess Diana's death and find out if they have any merit. Hi, I'm Amy with True Crime Recaps, and I am so glad you're here because just like you, I have always been fascinated by Princess Diana. Her humanitarian efforts and her just her genuine goodness made her one of the most influential women in the world, and her work and personal life has been well-documented. So I don't want to dive too deep into that today, but since so many of the theories surrounding her death center around her ill-fated marriage to Prince Charles, let's just, let's do a quick recap on that relationship. In his day, Charles was considered quite the playboy. He might not have been amazing to look at, but hey, he was a prince, so he was popular with the ladies. In the early 70s, he was hot and heavy with Camilla, you know that Camilla I'm talking about, and then she married someone else, and he was a man about town. Now, before he married Lady Diana Spencer, he was actually dating her older sister, and then in 1981, when Diana was 19 and he was 32, they announced their engagement after dating less than a year and only meeting in person 13 times. There was apparently a lot of pressure on him to marry a nice girl, settle down, and produce some princes, which Diana did, Harry and William. However, as it turned out, Charles was still very much in love with Camilla the entire time that he was married to Diana, and she knew it. Every, we all knew it. Everyone knew it. And most of their marriage was spent apart. So she felt unloved by her husband, unloved by his family, and uncomfortable with her every move being picked apart by the press. As a result, she struggled with her mental health, and that led to eating disorders and an attempt at suicide. Eventually, enough was enough, and she and Charles separated in 1992 and divorced in 1996. So now let's fast forward to Paris on Sunday, August 31st, 1997. Mere minutes before the fatal crash that would claim her life, she and her boyfriend at the time, Dodi Al-Fayed, were trying to leave the Ritz without alerting the crowd of people that were gathered around out front waiting for them. Fun fact, his billionaire father owned the hotel. So they slipped out the back and into a waiting Mercedes along with the Fayed family bodyguard, Trevor Reese Jones. The group was headed to Dodie's apartment, less than 10 minutes away. Their driver was Henri Paul. He was the acting head of security for the hotel. 
He was not a professional chauffeur, but he volunteered to drive them that night. After all, Dodie's father was his boss, so maybe that's why he got behind the wheel, even though his blood alcohol level was later found to be three times over the legal limit. I'm going to come back to him and the drinking accusations, but first, I want you to understand what actually happened that night, so let me set it up for you. Diana and Dodie were in the back seat, Henri was driving, and Trevor was in the passenger seat. None of them were wearing seatbelts. As the Mercedes sped off into the night, several photographers caught on to this disappearing act and they hurried to catch up. They were eager for that perfect shot. At 12.23 a.m., chaos descended. The car was going roughly 70 miles per hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone when Henri lost control inside a tunnel. They hit a wall and then swerved and veered across two lanes before they slammed into the 13th pillar. The impact was forceful enough to spin the Mercedes around completely until it hit another wall and it finally stopped. Dodie and the driver were killed instantly. Diana was still conscious but incredibly disoriented. Trevor, the bodyguard, he was still alive but he was seriously injured. Now before first responders could arrive on the scene, the paparazzi were already catching up to them. They were gathering around this wreckage. Some did rush forward to help the unfortunate passengers, but others were taking pictures of the aftermath, including the occupants as they lay dead or dying inside. Witnesses would later report seeing the car being chased by photographers on motorcycles just before it drove into the tunnel. Now, when the police arrived 10 minutes later, five of those photographers would be arrested for their gross callousness to what had just happened. Around 20 rolls of film were confiscated in the process. When the ambulance arrived a short time later, they found Trevor Reese Jones conscious and suffering from multiple critical injuries to his face, as well as a head contusion. According to one witness, Diana's injuries didn't appear life-threatening at first. She seemed to be in shock, I mean hurt, but mostly in shock. But not long after being removed from the wreckage, she went into cardiac arrest and she had to be resuscitated. The last words she said were, my God, what has happened? She never regained consciousness again. Despite their attempts to save her life, her injuries were too grave. She had a concussion, a broken arm, and a cut to her thigh, but she died from internal bleeding. Her heart had been displaced to the right side of her chest, tearing a pulmonary vein. Now, this exact type of tear was incredibly rare. They tried to repair it, but they couldn't, and she was pronounced dead at roughly 4 a.m. Experts say if she had been wearing her seatbelt, she almost definitely would have survived. A few months after the death of his son, Mohammed Al-Fayed claimed that the crash was planned by MI6 on behalf of the royal family. Over time, he made a number of claims about what happened that night and why, but much of what he said has been debunked. Or has it? Now, get out your tinfoil hat, because it is time for some conspiracy theories. So why on earth would anyone want to hurt a wonderful person like Diana? The answer to that question goes in hundreds of different directions. Now, some say someone in the British or American intelligence communities, or, you know, both, may have had reason to stop her work to reduce the stigma around AIDS patients or her campaign to educate others about the horrific use of landmines in Bosnia. Others say the motives could be found closer to home, or should I say within the palace walls? 
In 2004, the British police established their own inquiry into the more than 175 various conspiracies and rumors that were still circling around the death of the Princess of Wales. The finding of this inquiry is known as Operation Paget. That was published almost two years later. Most of the rumors noted in the report came from a single source, Mohammed Al-Fayed. And one of his more explosive allegations claimed that Diana was pregnant with his son's baby. He claims that the royal family was so enraged by this that they immediately started brainstorming ways to get rid of them both. But there isn't that much evidence to support that. When Diana's blood was tested for pregnancy at the hospital, the results were negative. He also claimed Dodie had purchased an engagement ring, which he'd planned to give Diana that weekend. But according to those that knew her best, she was not planning to remarry anytime soon. And the two of them had only been dating about a month. It seemed more like a rebound thing for both of them. However, there was a ring and Dodie did buy it for her, but the authorities couldn't fully verify if he bought it with wedding bells in mind or if it was more of just like a, hey, hot lady, thanks for hanging out with me kind of a ring, as one does. Many of Mohammed's allegations could be debunked, but certain aspects of the night Diana died and certain events leading up to it gave investigators pause. Now, I promised I'd come back to the accusations against the driver, Henri Paul, so let's talk a little bit more about him. As I said, he volunteered to drive them to Dodie's place that night. According to the New York Times, he stepped in for their regular driver to try and fool the press. Apparently, they were trying to do this complicated decoy car, decoy driver thing where the real driver went with a decoy car and the decoy driver went with the real car. But when it comes to his high blood alcohol content, it gets really strange because those who knew him and worked with him were shocked to learn that he was legally drunk. He wasn't a heavy drinker. And three blood tests were done to make absolutely sure the results were right. But without going down a lot of rabbit holes with that, it is hard not to wonder if something fishy was going on. That afternoon, he played tennis with a friend. He said no to grabbing a beer with him afterwards. That was their traditions, but he just had like a soda because he had to go to the airport with the driver to pick up Diana and Dodie. CCTV from the Ritz proved that he wasn't drinking while he was working. Around 7 p.m., he was told he could take the rest of the night off, but at around 9.45, he was called back in. In the hours he was off work, he wasn't seen drinking at any of his regular spots, but after the crash, police found a bottle of white vermouth, it was three quarters empty, and an unopened bottle of champagne in his fridge, according to the New York Times. But when he clocked back in around 10 p.m., no one thought he was drunk. They certainly wouldn't have handed him the keys and trusted him with the hotel's two biggest VIPs if they thought for a second that he had been drinking. So the only explanation for that blood alcohol content could be a bad combination of a small amount of alcohol and the two antidepressants he was taking at the time. There are other rumors that he was being paid by MI6 to murder Diana and Dodie. Apparently, he had a large amount of cash on him at the time and a large amount of cash in something like 13 bank accounts. And one former intelligence agent claims to have seen his name in MI6 files. But if he was hired for some kind of sinister undercover operation, he almost certainly didn't plan on dying because what would be the point of making all that money if you weren't going to be around to spend it. So did something go wrong or is that theory just complete bunk? 
So let's talk a little bit more about why he was swerving. You remember he was going about 70 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. It was 30 miles an hour because they had oncoming traffic like merging into the lane. That's where this white car comes in. It merges into this lane. He has to, he's going super fast. So he has to swerve around it. He didn't quite make it. He scraped against the car and broke a taillight. They they know that because they found remnants of the broken taillight and white paint on the Mercedes. It all pointed back to a Fiat Uno. Now, Mohammed claimed that that Fiat caused the accident on purpose, and the driver was a photographer who was, again, paid by MI6 to take out Dodie and Diana. But Operation Paget discovered that the actual driver was a random security guard on his way home. The guy was so freaked out by what had happened that he and his brother, who just happened to be a mechanic, repaired and repainted that Fiat red the very next day. And then they kept their mouth shut for years because would you want to be the guy who accidentally or on purpose caused the death of Princess Diana? Interestingly enough, he is a taxi driver in Paris now, so that's great. Some witnesses claim that they saw a bright flash of light at the mouth of the tunnel just before the crash. The logic here is that the light could have been planted there to specifically blind the driver for a second and cause him to lose control. But according to Operation Paget, that's crap because something that bright would have also made the Fiat driver lose control. Now, we don't know for absolute sure that the Fiat driver didn't see a light like that because he has always refused to talk about that night or offer any specifics. We could go to the CCTV video to check exactly what did or didn't happen in those final few seconds, but we can't because for some reason, none of the 14 cameras were recording. Now, that's quite a coincidence. There are no video or pictures available from any of the cameras along the route. Then, the strangest thing of all comes from Diana herself. As far back as 1995, she seemed deeply worried that someone wanted her out of the way. She told her lawyer that reliable sources had tipped her off to a plot to have her killed, most likely by tampering with her car's brake system. Her lawyer was a little bit like, Diana, really? Okay, maybe, who knows? But after she did, in fact, die in a car accident, he handed his notes over to the police. Now, she had also written a note to her trusted butler about her fears. In part, that note said, this particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. My husband is planning an accident in my car, brake failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear for him to marry Tiggy. Camilla is nothing but a decoy, so we are being used by the man in every sense of the word. So who is Tiggy? Well, Tiggy was William and Harry's nanny for years, because of course she was. Now, when this note was revealed, and experts say it was in her handwriting, so it wasn't a forgery, it is definitely eyebrow-raising, and the first person that they asked about it was Charles. He, of course, told them that he had no idea why she would have said that, why she wrote that, why she told people that, because what else would he say? But the people closest to her saw her state of mind during these conversations as a sort of passing paranoia. In other words, there was an ebb and flow to it. Once the moment had passed, her fears were calm. She appeared to put the idea out of her mind until the next time it surfaced. So how valid were her fears? Well, you know that old saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. 
And she did, in fact, die in a car accident. So it's kind of weird. But in the months before her death, she was worried her phone and residence were being bugged. She regularly asked for security sweeps, but she found no signs of eavesdropping, except, of course, for that time that they did. Maybe. So during one of these security sweeps, an electronic signal was located behind the wall of her bedroom. When it was checked again the next day, the signal was gone. So was it really a bug? Well, Probably not, according to Operation Paget. The security consultant didn't seem all that concerned at the time. Had her apartment truly been bugged with high-powered tech devices, like the kind available to MI6, he said that his limited equipment probably couldn't have detected those anyway. Furthermore, he claimed that the signal that did register could have come from pretty much anything. So honestly, what was she paying him for? dude? But now I want to tell you what happened after the crash. Well, records later showed that almost an hour and a half had passed from the time of the crash to the moment when Diana was loaded into the ambulance and taken to the hospital. But instead of rushing her to the closest emergency room in the area, the medical team took their time and transported her to a hospital much further away. So why did they do that? Well, Operation Paget has some answers on that too. For one thing, according to the first responders on the scene, Diana's injuries made her removal from the wreckage difficult. Once they got her out at around 1 a.m., she immediately went into cardiac arrest. After performing CPR and restarting her heart, they moved her into the ambulance. The problem, though, according to the doctors on the scene, was that her blood pressure kept dropping. So they opted to take a longer route after deciding that the closer hospital wasn't equipped to handle the magnitude of her wounds. And they instructed the driver to go slowly because the like stop and go accelerating of the ambulance could make an already dire situation even worse. They told investigators that during the ride, Diana's blood pressure dropped yet again, and at that point, the doctors had the driver pull over so they could stabilize her before continuing on five minutes later. Once she was admitted to the hospital, the surgical team did what they could to repair the damage done to her internal organs, but unfortunately, it just wasn't enough, and tragically, the People's Princess never woke up. In the end, Operation Paget reached the same conclusion as the French investigation that came before it, namely that Henri Paul's intoxicated state was the main reason for the accident, with the overly eager paparazzi coming in at a close second, a very, very close second. Now, it seems as if her family agrees with the official ruling, especially when it comes to the actions of the photographers present that night. But if you ask Mohammed Al-Fayed, He'll have something different to tell you and a whole different list of people to blame. Maybe it's just one grieving father's way to cope with such a devastating loss, or maybe the cover-up simply goes much deeper than we can see from the outside. There was one survivor of the crash, bodyguard Trevor Reese Jones. He was in a medically induced coma for 10 days, and when he woke up, he had almost no memory of the crash and still doesn't. Today, he's the global head of security for AstraZeneca. 
It may be impossible to ever truly know what happened on the night of August 31st, 1997, but what we do know is that Diana's life in the public eye wasn't always a comfortable one. She was often swarmed by photographers everywhere she went, and unfortunately, her last moments of life weren't much different. After all these years, one fact remains undisputed. Diana's life left a profoundly positive impression on the world, and her death left something more like a scar. She was buried with photos of her sons. She was holding a rosary given to her by Mother Teresa. Her final resting place is on the Spencer family property on a man-made island in the middle of a private lake. The path leading up to it is lined with 36 trees, one for each year of her life. And that is your recap. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. If you're anything like me, you're fascinated by true crime, but you don't have time to dive deep into every case. That is why Chris and I are here every week, bringing you all the crime in half the time. Until next time, take care. 